Mindfulness Mode 297. I just have to pull my ego out of it and just say, if you help one woman, this is all worth it. Welcome. You're listening to Mindfulness Mode, and I'm your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Thanks for joining today. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe so you won't miss any episodes. Oh, and you can send me a message directly at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you have a comment on the show, it'd be great to hear that. And uh, I will read your comment on the show. Right now, I have a, a comment that I'm going to share with you. My listener, V. Henshaw, said, I like how you interview. Great questions and a nice flow. I look forward to listening on my way to work in the mornings. So thank you, V. Henshaw, for sending that comment in. You know what? We've almost arrived at 300 Mindfulness Mode episodes, and you are the one that has helped me be successful as a listener, and I thank you, my listeners, so much. We will be celebrating 300 episodes. Stay tuned. My guest, On episode 300 is Deep Knowledge of Mindfulness. She's hosted a TV show. She's been a guest on many top shows that you'll recognize. I will be revealing her identity on an upcoming episode, so stay tuned. On today's show, what would you do if you realized you were trapped in a foreign country and had no hope for escape? Wow. This is how my guest felt. She survived to tell her story and she explains how mindfulness got her through the trauma. Sit back, relax, and enjoy hearing about the courage and strength of today's guest. Hey, Mindful Tribe. I am looking at a very happy, very beautiful smile on the person I'm about to introduce you to. And boy, this is going to be a real pleasure. I have with me Rosie Aiello. And Rosie, thank you so much for joining me. Are you in mindfulness mode today? Man. Hey, who cannot be in mindfulness mode with with being being with you, Bruce? I mean, you know, <laughs> I am right there with you. That is awesome. It's so great to have you with us. And I want to share a bit about you with Mindful Tribe. And we're going to get into a very fascinating discussion. But here's the bio. It says, Rosie Aiello is dedicated to helping women rediscover their lost confidence and to help them find their voice in the world so that they can have the joyful and prosperous life they truly deserve. Now, hear this. About eight years ago, following a 25-year marriage, Rosie found herself planning an international escape to save her daughter and herself from domestic abuse. Although she was nearly mentally destroyed, after arriving back in the United States, she started her own business, became a speaker, became a best-selling author, and was an international award-winning entrepreneur. Now, wow, like what a transition. It's just unbelievable to even read this and to look up and see this amazing woman here on my screen. Rosie and her daughter are now sharing their powerful story of escape, healing, and freedom in their upcoming memoir called 11 Hours to Freedom. 
And I mean, I haven't even talked to you, and I'm I'm just wowed with this amazing story of transformation. And I'm sure mindfulness plays a huge role in this. What does mindfulness mean to you? Let's get on the same page, Rosie. So this is just such um, a great question um, because having been through what I've been, and you know, as we go into the topic more, is that for me, mindfulness means that I am okay right now at this moment. Um, and because for so much of the time I wasn't, but to really tap into my body and to know, okay, you know, I can look around, I can look outside my window and know, hey, I'm here and I am okay. Right. Right. And you are, well, you've certainly been through a challenge. You're, you're writing this memoir called 11 Hours to Freedom. So there must have been 11 crucial hours when you were actually escaping. So you lived in the United States, is that right? And you escaped from your home. Well, um, I was, I'm originally from California, but I lived in the Middle East for almost 25 years. Okay. So I was escaping from the Middle East. I see. From, from Lebanon. My okay. Husband, um, my ex-husband is Lebanese. He's a Christian okay. Lebanese. And um, we were just, it was a verbally, emotionally, psychologically, and financially abusive relationship. And was it always that way? It was, you know, it's funny, you know, as I look at my journey, it's just like, here I was, I was, before I got married, I was in Silicon Valley, I was in corporate finance, I was a rising star, and then we had met in college, and then we got, when we got married, I moved to the Middle East, first to Saudi Arabia, and I didn't know anything about intuition, mindfulness, what's that, I didn't know any of this, Um I didn't know what the word abuse was. I didn't know any, but I just knew that, gosh, you know, I was so, so successful in my business. Why can't I be a good wife? Because that's what he told me. Sure. And he kept insulting me and putting me down. So like, well, you know, Hey, you know, I can do this. I can be a good wife, you know, put me to the test here kind of thing, you know, and, but okay. it didn't matter. So it was your competitive spirit that played a role here. Yeah, I was like, well, I can do this. I can be a good wife. I can twist myself and turn myself into a pretzel and and please him. And so d- originally, did he wow you? Like, were you completely wowed by the man himself? Well, he, yeah. I mean, he was probably, you know, he's brilliant, charming, cultured, educated, um, could talk on any subject. Um, you know, we met at Berkeley and... um we had a great time. Right. When the good times were the good times were great. Right. And um, as time progressed, and I realized what was going on, then the bad times were really bad. But and I, by that time, you were married. Is that right? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, we were married. Yeah. I didn't know a lot of this before we were married. This was after we were right. married. So I the assume. beginning of the relationship really was. There were little signs, but I didn't know them. I didn't know. I just thought, oh, well, you know, he gets upset. Everybody gets upset. You know, I didn't, sure. I didn't put two and two together, you know, and this is part of it, not having the vocabulary, right. not knowing the signs. I didn't, I didn't know what red flags were. I never heard of that word till I came back to the United States. Mm. Um, I didn't know what abuse was. I didn't know what financial abuse was. I didn't know what, I didn't know. It was not in my DNA vocabulary. And so then you, 
must have gotten to the point where you were extremely down and out. Is that right? Tell me about that. Yeah, as you know, especially after my daughter was born, then I went from, you know, besides being a bad wife, then I was now a bad mother oh. um, and just constantly put down. And then he was, as my daughter grew and became into adolescence, um, he started to turn on her. You know, she, he thought it was really cute when she was little and, you know, complacent and everything else is all children are. And when they get into adolescence, they start right. to, to move into their independence, but he didn't sure. like that. So it was always tense in the house. And I mean, I knew from the beginning, I mean, from early on, I just couldn't stand being in the marriage, but I wasn't going to leave and I couldn't leave her and I couldn't leave the laws in the Middle East are that the custody of the child automatically, there's like no court stuff here, automatically goes to the father. Oh, really? Yeah. Prior to them becoming major, you know, at the age of 18. So if I left, I would have lost her. So, so it just got, as time progressed, it just got worse and worse. The abuse got worse. I couldn't stand it. And then my daughter was already a junior at the university in Lebanon, the American University of Beirut, when she said, Mom, you just got to get me away from my father. And I said, okay. And so in four months, I planned the escape of our lives. Um, and, you know. <laughs> wow. So you planned this escape and you just step by step went through this plan of action. And then it must have boiled down then to 11 hours, I'm guessing, based on the name of your book. So from the book's title, that's, you know, part of it. Yeah, because our flight, we went Beirut, uh, Paris, and then Paris to San Francisco. And the flight from Paris to San Francisco is 11 hours. Okay. Um, and so the book is, the first part of the book is called The Flight for Freedom, where during those 11 hours, I'm recounting the things that led up to why we had to leave, all the, the really highly abusive situations. The second part of the book is what I call the fight for freedom. So now this is really, you know, now I'm physically extracted from him. We're, we are physically extracted from him, but now we have all the internal healing. Of course. You know, the, you know, the mind. I did not know about PTSD. I didn't know about trauma. I didn't know all these things that I was exhibiting. So we went through therapy. So, um, you know, going through that. And then the third part of the book is the fulfillment of freedom. And freedom is is something I'm very mindful of. Talk about being mindful. Really, truly, Bruce, there's not a day I don't look out my window. You know, I see the beautiful blue sky and the palm trees mm -hmm. and I go, yeah, I'm free. I've got my freedom. You know, still working on the whole internal part, but I, I don't take it for granted. You know, I think, you know, being in America, the Americans is like, you just take freedom for granted. We don't, or you know, or Canada, we don't think about it. It's not a conscious yeah. thought. It's a conscious thought for me. It's a mindful thought. Right. Almost every and, day. And did he ever make an effort to, to come back or to get you or to take you back or to, you know, to get the law to work against you or whatever? Yes. <laughs> okay. You know, it was, I mean, even eight years later, I mean, he still stalks us. So, um, yeah, you know, the beginning, it's like, oh, I love this woman. I don't want to, you know, I want to get her back. But I knew that would change, and it did. And then the divorce was very contentious. You know, it was an international divorce. So it was quite complicated, and I needed to get a really top-notch um, attorney. Mm -hmm. So, 
he he just made the whole divorce process difficult, you know, <laughs> which is like no surprise because that's who he is by character. Sure. And I didn't know really about narcissism and sociopaths and psychopaths. None of that was in my vocabulary until I realized, oh, my God, that's what I was married to. Right. So, yes, um, he wrote emails and he, he tracked us down where we lived. Um, he sends stuff. It's just like it's hard to get rid of him and his energy. And I'll never forget the day when I like created my first website when I started my business and, you know, I did it myself and I was so proud, you know, mm -hmm. and I had to push the button to say publish. Mm -hmm. And I took a moment like, wow, he's going to know about me. He's going to find me. But you know what? I didn't come here and go through the escape to hide. No, you know. But it was very difficult to become public and then know. And then, of course, he has, you know, he's been on, gotten on my mailing list. You just can't even imagine the stalking that goes on to this day. Wow. I keep fighting for my own freedom. You know, right. I'm not going to let him win. This is my life and I'm living my life and my, my daughter. Right. And so your daughter is with you in the same city then still. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're actually, she's, you know, she's, she's living with me and we're, we're together. Okay. And she wasn't a minor when we left. She was a junior at the university. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And so with you working so hard to help others who are dealing with similar challenges, do you ever feel like it's difficult to let some of this go in your own life because you're, you're writing about it, you're dealing with it, you're facing it. Would you sometimes just like to forget the whole thing? <laughs> <laughs> That's the question. Yeah, really. How come you just knew the right question to ask, Bruce? Well, you know, the honest truth is yes, it is. And then, you know, what happens, especially writing this memoir, it's been, <clears throat> we're writing it because people told us to write it. Mm. You know, this wasn't, um, because they said, your story is so powerful. It needs to be in a book. It needs to be in a movie. And it's like, okay, you know, and, and we got to the point where we were ready. And then now that I started writing the book, when I get into that thinking, you know, it's so hard. I just stop myself. I go, Rosie, this is not about you. This is about helping these other women. It is not about you. And I just have to pull my ego out of it and just say, if you help one woman, this is all worth it. So I just make that distance between me, 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 and who am I helping? And then it just changes my perspective, my direction, and I snap out of it. It's the only thing that keeps me going, knowing I'm going to be helping these women. Right, it must be. And for, so for the women you're helping, is it really any woman who's abused, or is it women in the Middle East, or what is the dynamic there? Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's, and it's any woman, you know, because this is a worldwide crisis, you know, and I've, sp I've spoken to women literally all over the world. And I had been doing work uh, before primarily in time management productivity. And as I would talk on that topic and give them a little tiny snippet of my background, invariably, uh, women would come up to me afterwards and say, oh, yeah, I was in an abusive relationship or I am or whatever. And then my own little statistics, I could, I could tell you with 100% assurance that a minimum of three out of 10 women, three out of 10 in, in any room will be in or have been in an abusive relationship. And it could be, you know, intimate, uh, you know, a partner relationship or from a, from a parent. And 
my you know when we were at the event in uh, New Media where we met. I can't tell you how many women I've talked to, and it's just it, it and it makes me furious that we're in such a situation. Now, I know men get abused too, but that's not my market, you know. But I have compassion sure. for them as mm -hmm. well. But that's just not my market, and I can't address everybody. Of right? course, experiences for women. But for sure, I have compassion for them. And we need men like you, good men like you, to support this mission. Absolutely. And I'm honored to do that. It shocks me when I, you know, I work with a lot of kids because I teach mindfulness and anti-bullying right. to children. But, you know, I mean, even when you see a two-year-old in the little girl's t-shirt, says, I'm a princess, you know, or whatever it is. And then the little boy, you know, oh, I'm, you know, look out because here I come sort of thing. And it's like such complete different messaging that we are just pouring into our, our children and our parents. And it's all coming from the media. It's coming from every angle. And it starts so young. It starts at birth, really. How can we even begin to chip away at this? You know, I, this is why I feel our, our book is going to be um, so much, so powerful because it's going to take, it's taking that perspective of not only the, the wife and the mother, which you hear most about, but also from the child's point of view, even though she's not a child, but that perspective and how it needs to start at such a young age. And that one is, you know, helping children, you know, realize, you know, you don't grow up thinking, oh, your parent is going to be abusive to you. I didn't even know it after being married for 25 years, right? I didn't even know it. But just like, how can we create more kindness in the family? And how and and to teach that in the schools that this is what it means to be communicating kindly with somebody, right? This is what it means when it's not. And this is what it does to you. And let's encourage these children to to voice it and to ask, to learn to ask for help. Um, and I think, I think that's what's important is really this, this feeling of kindness that we don't need to be dumbed down, insulted. And parents, you know, a lot of parents, you know, don't know, but what happens is that the children don't have any point of reference of what's right or what's not. No, they don't. You know, and we, you know, the school has such a great opportunity to say here, this is what it is. This is what's healthy. And if it's not, you know, if this is what's happening, you know, we're here to help you and listen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I remember back in 2003 when I started doing my anti-bullying work in schools and I immediately thought, hey, just a minute, I need to be talking about respect. I need to be talking about the other side of it because, yeah, all this terrible bullying is going on. We can talk about not doing that, but we need to be talking about what we need to be doing. And that's what we need to be teaching and understanding what it means to be respectful, what it means to be kind. I mean, kind is a word that we assume everybody knows what that means, mm -hmm. but not everybody knows what it means. Some people think, oh, I am being kind right. and maybe I'm being abusive. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's why we have the, the, the Love is Kind movement. It's a group we've started on, on Facebook for that exact dialogue. And the same thing with the respect. I mean, 
even like the gang members can say, hey, I want some respect here, right? Has a different perspective. Totally. What does it mean to be respectful and to respect? What does it mean to be kind? And, And it's not kind once in a while. It's the pattern that we're looking for. You know, everybody can be kind in a moment in time. Everybody could be loving a moment in time. Everyone could show uh, respect a moment in time, right? It's yeah. the pattern. And that's what was, you know, an abusive relationship. Oh, they're really kind. But yeah. then, <clears throat> then sure. blow up and your head's taken off. That's, that's right. And, you know, I'm sure you have just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories about specifically things that happened and bullying and everything else. But do you have one story that you do wish to share with us today, whether it's bullying in business or, or whatever it is where mindfulness would have made a difference? Well, if I can take my own relationship, of course, know, that was a whole you know, that was bullying the whole time. Right. Right. You know, right. That's, uh, you know, usually we use bullying sort of in the context of, of children, but you know, when we, when we get out of children, then we, it's, it's abuse and stuff, but it's all, these are the same words are the same thing. Um, and so what was predominant, um, for me, which I kind of alluded to in the beginning was he would just say, you, you know, you're not, you're not a good wife. You're not a good partner. You're not a team player. He kept thinking for me. And, mm-hmm. and I just thought, oh, I'm not. And so what happened is I kept doubting myself. Sure. And, and, and thinking, well, I'm not good enough. I'm never good. Right. I'm never right enough. I'm never good enough. It's just like, I'm just a failure. So it snowballs into, you know, these, these words, these attacking words, the humiliation of the way I was treated, right? And so for me, personally, I regressed, like I just turned in, you know, other people can get aggressive. That wasn't yes. my style, right? Right. But that's what happens. It's like you have these two avenues. Mine was to recoil, because I also saw that I made the connection that if I spoke up, if I tried to say what was on my mind, well, no, that's not true or whatever, he would get angrier, right? So, he, you know, the bully gets angry. That's how they dominate. You know, that's, yes. that's a method of domination. They just get angry. And so, you know, they recoil. Well, it worked with me. <clears throat> so I saw that instead of putting more fuel to the fire, I just kept quiet. That was my survival method, but that wasn't conscious. Right. It wasn't a conscious survival method. So had I known everything that I know now, well, I would have gotten out sooner, figured it out, but I would have been able to say, okay, Rosie, this is not about you. This is about him. I didn't, couldn't say that. So I took all that in, but if I could have, you know, but had those keys to just tools to say, Rosie, he's angry. He's projecting. You are a good person. You are smart. You are good enough. But I couldn't do that. I didn't have it. So that would be so cool, so so key. And if these children can hear that, that they are smart, they're good enough, they're brilliant, they've got a good heart. We just got to put them in the right direction. Right? And if you get them, you know, if they're ground down at a young age, it's 
such a long journey to get them out of it. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes you never can get them out of it, you know. But uh, how's your daughter doing with all this now? She's, well, because she, you know, grew up with it, you know, she didn't have a, a, um, you know, a background like I did, you know, with a stable family. She grew up, right? We were talking about from from birth, right? Even pre-birth, right? Hearing what's going on, feeling my energy of fear, you know, the whole time. So... We both came, you know, arrived with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and she has something called complex PTSD, which is a little bit more, well, as the word says, it's more complex. So she's still, she's grown a lot, you know, grown yeah, a lot, but she's still yeah. struggling because she wasn't able to um, become, be a child, be an adolescent, be everything. And what I've been learning is that every as you develop into an adult, you can't just skip any of those processes. You can't skip adolescence and to be, right. you know, you can't skip it. You have to go through it. So hers was pulled away from her. Um, so now she's having to rebuild that to become a full, uh, full adult. And, uh, and so there's parts of her fully functioning parts of her that still goes back to the, the child. Um, and I was thinking there, there must be a part of her that misses her father, even though logically she realizes, you know, how, how horrendous it was. Is that true? What she misses deeply is having a loving father who can love right. her conditionally. You know, you know, like around Father's Day is really painful for her because like, so I don't have a father that loves me who really truly loves me, who hears me. So it's a very painful day for her. Yeah. He misses the love, the true love of a father. Why can't, because she has her uncle and, you know, other uncles and other, other male figures in her life. And she sees how loving they are to their children. And she goes, I don't have that. Right. So it's, it's very painful for her. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I can only imagine you know, how painful it must be. Rosie, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Um, this would be, um, her name is Wanda Whitaker. And she's a friend and she is a, um, like a holistic coach kind of person. And she was the one who really introduced mindfulness to me. Um, so yeah, I'm very grateful to her. And that's been mm. a number of years ago. Yeah. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Oh my gosh. Oh, you know, like when you ask me what does mindfulness mean to me, like it's safe in the moment, is that it helps me get centered and not fly off when I want to fly off. Because trauma survivors have a tendency to go, you know, we fly off like you know, we get into panic, hypervigilance and things like that. So it's like almost key. And one of the things that I have it on my wall and I have to keep reminding myself is that being fearful and afraid is not the same thing as being in danger. Right. And that I kind of live by, by that. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. 
you know, as I've learned about this, um, I introduce it to all my coaching, you know, so it's like integral part of it of, and I have to be reminded as well, but breathing in slowly through your nose and really, you know, what I've learned is going really slow on the exhalation to just slow everything down. It's like key, absolutely key to calming the whole nervous center, calming the, the fight and the flight and the freeze that we can get into so easily. It's just critical. Right. Well, I know we're looking forward to reading your book, 11 Hours to Freedom. That's for sure. I'm not sure when it's going to be published, but can you recommend another book that would be related to mindfulness? Well, for me, you know, maybe um, it doesn't have to be just for trauma victims, but this is a book um, that I use, and it's called In Finding Life Beyond Trauma. Um, there will not be one book about trauma or anything that does not talk about mindfulness. It's like an integral part of it. So it's really, it's, it's a workbook. It's called Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Heal from Post-Traumatic Stress and Trauma-Related Problems. And I want to add something here. A lot of children, this is what's important in the schools, a lot of children are diagnosed with ADD or ADHD when the true uh, source is abuse. So I think we really need to look at the children and what they're experiencing instead of diagnosing them and putting them on, on Ritalin or whatever and seeing what's happening at the home. They're getting misdiagnosed royally. I would totally agree with that. I think there's a huge amount of misdiagnosis out there mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? The, you know, an app that everyone has, and it's very simple. I use the timer on my phone. You know, it doesn't have to be fancy, but I, it's, my phone is next to me. I have alarm set and then I work for maybe anywhere from a 20 to 50 minute time block. Um, then get up, stretch, drink water. If I'm not drinking, um, you know, during, um, I, I use it every day. That's my app to get me focused. It's like, wake up, Rosie. Where are you? <laughs> are you still focused? Or, or did you go never, never land? You know? And that's one of your secrets to time management then I take it. Is yeah, that right? Exactly. It just, it, it, it works. It's simple. It's yeah. simple. And you've been teaching time management skills for some time. Yeah. And you've obviously practiced them because when you arrived back in the United States, you just bang, 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 bang. You just knocked things off. How can you help other people do that same thing? First, you really need to know what you want. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have all the answers. I didn't even know what being an entrepreneur was. I mean, I really had to reinvent myself when I came back to the United States. And I guess because of my work, you know, in corporate before and um, the positions that I had, I was in planning and financial planning. I developed these skills that I didn't even know I had. But, you know, I'm a believer in writing down your to-do list. And you can call it your GPS, you can call it your action list, you can, whatever name, we don't care what the name is, but unless, unless you write that thing down and look at it, I have people say, oh, Rosie, I wrote it down. I go, yeah, but did you look at it? And it's like, <laughs> you know, that's my guidance system. 
yeah. to have some flexibility and not be hard on yourself. That would be the other key. Write it down and then, you know, go for it and just, just go for it. Your life is so, time is so precious. Your life is so precious. Why would you want to waste it? It truly is. Yeah. Well, you are one very inspiring lady, Rosie. I mean, it's just a, an incredible story. It truly is. And and talking with you, I mean, yet yeah, you're still so vibrant. You're still so alive. You still you still have so much to offer. And you're, I'm telling you, the coaching clients that you work with are very, very fortunate. How can we learn more about what you do? And how can we connect with you, Rosie? Well, I'd like to, um, there's two ways. One is, um, they can go to 11hourstofreedom.com forward slash session. That can, they can get set up on my calendar. And can I offer them something? Of course you can. Absolutely. So I have um, something, of course, you, you know what you do. You do it for yourself, right? So I created a, uh, a document called 11 Steps to Confidently Ask for What You Want. Uh, 11 Steps to Confidently Ask for What You Want. And they can get that at 11hourstofreedom.com forward slash gift. So it's 11hourstofreedom.com forward slash gift. And um, it will go, it's 11 steps because it's based on my book, 11 hours, everything's 11. And it just takes, takes you through everything that you need to do. And they should look for number nine. On the list of 11, find number nine. That's called oh. a special one that's going to help them instantly make changes. It's, it's fantastic. I can't wait to check this out myself, Rosie. I got to find out what number nine is. <laughs> <laughs> this is really cool. Thank you so much for sharing this with Mindful Tribe. This is awesome. And uh, yeah, so if you're listening today, do not hesitate to check this out. And I will put it in our show notes as well at mindfulnessmode.com. So check it out. Check out uh, everything that we've put in those show notes. Rosie, you are sharing so much value and helping so many people. Thank you so much for being on Mindfulness Mode today. Oh, thank you, Bruce. I'm really touched to be here and to be with you. And and I hope I've helped some women and your other people, children, men today as well. I'm sure you have. Thank you so much and uh, all the best to you. Bye now. Bye. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. If you did, could you please subscribe? That can really help the show. Thank you for that. Remember, subscribing and sharing helps to keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.